Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Rogue Chronicles, where we take a look at all the different villains from popular culture. And this week we're stepping out of the realms of sci-fi. So far we've covered the likes of Daleks and Darth Vader. We're going into more... I would still call it modern cinema, even though we're going back to 1960. And we're going to look at Norman Bates from the Psycho franchise. Now, this is my uh, co-host's uh, pick, and I'm going to hand you over to him right now. Liam Hall, how are you? Hello, hello, my boys, my boys, my boys. It is so good to be back once again. And yeah, this is... um. This is a bit of an out-bed pick. I'm surprised I chose this over you, considering this is probably your childhood film. Um, <laughs> I, you, you might have even been um, 40 at the time it was released, actually. I, I, I can't even remember at this point. Yeah, that was about 35, yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so yeah, this is a film, but um, as a writer, I kind of had to study uh, during high school. And, um, yeah, it's kind of stuck with me, and I think there's lots, there's lots of interesting elements, and I've really enjoyed kind of looking back at it um so i i guess i'll just give like a a little bit of a brief summary of the story so the story centers 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 around a young woman who steals some money from her business you well a customer's got money basically which is the equivalent of three hundred thousand today um and she so that sounds like she's going to california you know, she's going away somewhere and she's just trying to get rid of her money. And so she stops at this motel um, where we meet our eponymous villain, Norman Bates. And lots of hijinks and crazy stuff kind of happens from there. But do you, Carl, do you remember the first time you saw Psycho? How, how old were you um, when you first saw it? Um, when I first saw it, I really can't remember. It's It's going back a fair while, probably early 20s, maybe late teens. Mm. But I had to rewatch it because I have very vague memories of it. Yeah, that's, I, I, I only saw it a few years ago, but I, I remember like key bits of it, but there's some, there's some elements which I kind of forgot about. But it's really interesting kind of looking back at it because you kind of forget some elements of it. And it, it, feels, it feels like a very important film, even just in the history of, cinema so i i think it's really important to kind of go over it um so i guess i'll kind of start a bit about well let's talk let's talk about the villain so um norman bates he's a bit of a shy person um he doesn't reconnect with people introverted perhaps yeah yeah, introverted. He's kind of shy. He's like he, he doesn't really seem to be very good at talking to women. Um, couldn't couldn't possibly roll hate <laughs> that. No, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as we slowly go on, he's, he's, he seems a little bit creepy. There's a bit of voyeurism about him. He's a bit. You can tell something's not quite right about him. And in the end, the big twist is that um, he's kept his dead mother in his attic and he's actually a crossdresser who goes around murdering people and he so he basically kills um the protagonist in a very famous scene um 
it's an interesting one because I, I feel like this film very much kind of plays on the anxieties of society at the time. Would, would, would you say that's fair? Yeah, well, as someone who can remember that, the 60s vividly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... quite, pass- quite possibly, yeah. Um, mm. It's not to be to doubt yet. I, you know, a, a, apart from a lot of drug taking, I don't really remember a lot about the, six, <laughs> the 60s, really. Yeah, because I, I guess, thinking about it, the, the film almost takes a backdrop almost to um, the actual context around it. So at the time, um, films are very heavily censored by this thing called the production code, which basically means like, you know, there's certain things you could show on film, certain things you could not. And a lot of stuff in this film was initially censored. So you were, for example, there's lots of weird things. So you can um, show two people after sex, which is actually the first scene of the film. You know, you see... um, the protagonist with her boyfriend off just a casual fling you know they're not together and you're not supposed to see them semi-naked either so that was pretty wild at the time disgusting yeah exactly um and there's also weird other weird things so like one of the issues they had was the showing of a toilet which i which i don't really understand so showing a toilet on film was considered a bit of a taboo thing which i (laughs) <laughs> Which I don't, I don't really understand. Like, yeah. do you, do you in America, they're still, they're still quite funny about that in America, though. And from mm. from what from what I hear, and they never refer to it's, it's always like a bathroom, isn't it? You never really yeah. hear them say toilet on on American TV and stuff. Yeah, it's very strange, and and you, you know you can't really see. Um like w- women or men being like half naked or anything which obviously we see in this and also um homosexuality is pretty much a complete no-no or any kind of you know what they would call sexual deviancy and really what is kind of special about this film is it kind of throws all the rules out of a window you know yeah the main villain is a crossdresser who most people at the time labeled a home like homosexual um, you know, he's someone who's voyeuristic. He's he's obviously quite sexually repressed. Um, it's a very, it's a very interesting. Um, it's very, yeah, like I said, it's a very very interesting film. Do you, do you, do you think there's something kind of unique about this film of the time? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, <clears throat> not your standard sort of film from that era at all, and um, it's no surprise that it. Someone like Hitchcock mm. to sort of push those boundaries and and make changes. He was always a very sort of out there sort of director. So almost controversial. Yeah, because I mean, from what I remember at the time, like there wasn't really much murder you could really show. I mean, two years earlier, he released um, one of his films called Vote, which is very famous for being all done in one shot or at least made to look that way. And the two protagonists, two protagonists are murderers, and they apply to be homosexuals. So that feels like a bit of a kind of foreshadowing to this, but that received nowhere near as much kind of censorship as Psycho. Um, and obviously, this film kind of it, it kind of changed the game because you know after this, people were not afraid to kind of push the boundaries more, and I feel like it kind of gave way to more riskier content. So. It, 
I kind of think without this film, I don't know how much other horror films or sci-fi films would even see that kind of push for boundaries that we already know. Maybe not, but you, you kind of have to think it would have happened eventually. If it wasn't going to be psycho, something, something else would come. Uh, something else would have come along eventually. In, yeah, in yeah, absolutely. Um, it, might have, it might have been a lot later. Yeah, absolutely, and and I I think it's very important. I mean, Hitchcock has a lot of flaws as a person, but I think this kind of this choice was very. Um, I, I I think it was a, I think it was a very good idea. Because it kind of push things forward, and I think you always need to be a bit, bit more forward thinking with your cinema. Um, but yeah, so so something that's kind of interesting about this: we don't really see um, we don't really see Norman Bates first thirty minutes of the film. So when you first see him, what what were your kind of impressions of him? Like, because I feel like his introduction is very interesting. Well, the first. <clears throat> The first sort of couple of minutes of screen time, he seems relatively normal, actually. He's mm. just managing the motel, he's handing over keys, gets the registered signed. It's, it's when he starts sort of, for lack of a better word, trying to flirt mm. with the, the main character. It, it's, you know, sort of not, I wouldn't say red flags, but um, you start thinking maybe all's not what it seems with this guy. Yeah, because he's very, he's very touchy about about his mother, mm. um, and he's very he's not he's not like very overtly camp or um, gay or anything. But he's quite shy. He's maybe even slightly feminine compared to the other male characters in the film. Yeah, there, there's, um, there's I, I would say there's a slight campness to him. Yeah, but it's not like um. You know, it's it's not like um, it's not it's not like carry on films or anything like that. Oh no, no. But um, yeah, and, and so we we kind of you know we come across this the scene of having dinner together, and it's a really brilliant and subtle scene because like all the kind of complexities in it is done through the framing. You know, there's the background kind of changes slightly, and the motif of, of the birds, which kind of is throughout the film. It, it kind of implies a bit of a sinister, sinister side to him, and he becomes creepier and creepier, kind of as that scene kind of goes on. It's also very strange how he sort of offers dinner, offers dinner because he mm. was going to have some anyway. It's not just be sandwiches and milk. He brings it to a cabin, <laughs> and he's constantly moving. Oh, let's go to the office because it's nicer there. And then I forget the name of the room, but he moves, us, moves decides to move somewhere else. After the office as well. Yeah, because uh, he, he, he moves her to a room close to the office so that she can kind of come to him at any time, right? That's, that's what he says, isn't it? But there's also, mm. there's, there's a peephole in there as well, which kind of hints at his kind of perversion and his kind of voyeurism and his kind of creepiness about him. Oh, isn't that normal? Well, I mean, for for you and I, but from what I've heard, <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> from what I've heard, not for most people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, we also probably should mention um, the mother. So we kind of hear this kind of shrill old woman who kind of sounds, I mean, she she kind of sounds a bit like Carl on Saturday Night. Just <laughs> kind of, this kind of exactly, exactly like being on a Saturday Night. I just... <laughs> yeah, so <it's> 
it's just this old woman you're like okay she sounds a bit unusual she sounds a bit um carl like so i mean that that immediately kind of put me off her um mm. no offense, very, very possessive she doesn't she doesn't want she doesn't want uh norman to sort of um mm. see this see this girl and i get the impression any any girl yeah so i mean this this is something that i find very interesting so it, it, like and particularly towards the end of the film and it's kind of revealed that i mean there's a bit of a you know we're not too sure if he's possessed if he's gone mad if he's schizophrenic it's kind of there, there's kind of room to kind of make your own your own theory about it but it feels like a lot of it is kind of due to the mother and potentially a, a, like an abusive relationship is that fair to say yeah, uh, I would hundred uh, percent agree with that. Mm. So, again, we're, we're, it's exploring like it's exploring a lot of taboos, and then we kind of get to the famous shower sequence. Um, so, yeah, which I must admit was um, rewatching the other day because I couldn't remember a whole about it. Mm. It was much earlier in the film than I remembered and was anticipating. Yeah, because it, it's even before the kind of halfway mark of the film, isn't it? I think. Mm. Maybe even earlier, but it's it's very dynamic, and it, it, I mean the I mean that that sound, that sound effect, and that score is very iconic. Mm. Isn't it? So it is, isn't it? Um, I mean, it doesn't completely hold up, but um, I mean, you know, there's no, only such the, the, to get away the with. The trajectory of his uh, stabbing motions. Uh, <laughs> And nowhere near what they need to be to 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 stab her in the shower like that. They're all over the shop. But but I digress. That's making me sound like I'm sort of <laughs> serial killer. I've just watched. I've just watched a lot of detective programs. Okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely, of course. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I I mean, the thing is, there are some nice shots in there. You know, the shot where she kind of falls out of the shower and it just lingers on her, on her like her dead eye, and then the blood like flowing down into the drain. Like, yeah, because she moves a bit first, and I'm thinking, oh, perhaps she hasn't, perhaps she hasn't finished her up. That's that's not how I remembered it. And then, mm. oh no, no, she is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's absolutely dead. That's that is for damn sure. <laughs> But um, the, the crucial thing is we never see the face of the killer. We just see this kind of figure. Um, just silhouette. A form. Yeah. Just, and she's just stabbing. And then we later see Norman come in and kind of clean it up. And he looks at, he looks a bit su- surprised himself. Um, so I, I think something I've, I've always kind of enjoyed with Hitchcock, Hitchcock, I feel like he's very good at kind of um, covering up like plot holes in his twists. You know, yeah, I just hope all the bulls in the bath and not, you know, none got any carpet or mats because it, it wouldn't be coming out. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, uh, <clears throat> not, not that I know from <laughs> any sort of experience. No, never, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> um, so, I mean, then for a while, I mean, the film kind of just goes into like, it kind of, for me, it kind of lags down a bit. We kind of go back to the original town and the people are kind of speculating kind of what happens. We don't really see Norman for a lot of the film until they come back to the motel. Yeah, it, it's um, it's not that uncommon when you think about it because we'll, we'll, we'll get to it um, when we 
talk about Dr. Hannibal Lecter, but mm. he didn't, in the first film, he didn't have a hell of a lot of screen time either, so it's not an uncommon thing. And sometimes in these situations, I think the less is more approach does actually work in, in their favour. Yeah, that, that is very true. I mean, it's one of those things that, like, I, I think leaving you wanting more can be a blessing and it can be a curse, because sometimes you just want to see the villain and you're like, oh my god, he's so cool, or, you know, he's so creepy, but it kind of some of the other bits maybe suffer as a result, but I think also it does kind of help with the creepiness of the villain. Mm-hmm. But he perhaps, perhaps Norman, he needed to to read the news or something because his big flaw in mm. this one is that she's a wanted woman for stealing stealing that money. So people are determined to track her down. If that if that wasn't the case, or he was aware of that, he might he might never have got caught. You don't know, or not. Or not at this juncture, at least. Yeah, well, because, I mean, that is kind of a part of it as well, because everyone thinks that he's after the money, which mm. is not really his desire. His his desire is her and his you know inability to kind of express his emotions and kind of form any relationships with females besides his mother. Um, which is, like, sexual suppression is a very interesting kind of motive, I think, for a killer. Yeah. And, again, probably pretty taboo at the time but um we get towards actually i'm gonna ask are there any other scenes in this kind of film which kind of stood out to you after that after the shower sequence um not exactly not stood out as much as that but i find it interesting the sort of the way he disposes of the body in the Mm. in the car and he, he sort of chucks what he just thinks is a newspaper into the boot, whether he, whether if he knew there was forty grand rolled up in there, you say he's not doesn't care about the money, but it, it might have he might have had a different reaction if he realised there was mm. a, a rock of money uh, rolled rolled up in there. But yeah, he sort of pushes her body in the car in like a like a bog marsh kind of thing, and it sort of start sinking and there's a moment of concern on his face when the because the car sort of stops submerging for a, mm. for a couple of seconds at a certain point isn't it yeah and and in the end um that is kind of part of his well it's not really his undoing but like that is actually the last shot of the film we kind of see the car coming out which is a very mm. i mean we get to, we'll get to the ending in it a little bit but, but I, I always found that a bit of a strange choice but um so some other scenes i found quite um, interesting. I, I love the scene where he's kind of talking to his mother um, before he takes her down to the cellar. Um, I, I just think that's a very, like, cause, I mean, once you know the twist, you kind of know it's him talking to himself, but it's very convincing and there's also very... What? Excuse uneasy. me? Sorry, what? You know, like, twist talking to himself. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you confused me for a second. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I, I really like that scene. Um, I, I think that's very interesting. And and the final scene where, you know, it is finally revealed, you know, um, Janet's friends go down. Uh, the actor's called Janet. But um, the friend goes down to the cellar. She finds the corpse of the mother. And then we finally see Norman in his cross-dressing form and just this mad look on on his face before he's apprehended i remember thinking at the time like that was a very that sequence i think is fantastically filmed did you did did you what what were your thoughts on that sequence 
Yeah, it is quite well done. He's, I don't know whether it was a lack of time in that situation, but all he's got really is a, a cheap dress over his uh, mm. normal clothes and a, and a wig. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not the most... Um, I, 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 I've seen better, basically. I mean... I mean, at least put some stockings on, man. Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you, I think you and I should give him some tips. I mean... I'm sorry. I didn't hear anything. Um, but then... So then from there, we kind of get... We get this scene, which I, I, I'm very conflicted about. I don't really know how I feel about it. So... They're at the police station. They're kind of discussing what's going Yeah, on. I've heard, before you carry on, I have heard that a lot of people find the scene quite contentious mm. and aren't even sure if it needs to really be in the film. I don't know. I find it quite interesting the way it's all explained. But, yeah, I think the film would have survived without it as well. But yeah, so it's kind of... I, I think something that people kind of forget, it's like, you know, at this time these kind of ideas and this kind of you know because I, I don't really know i don't really know what the state of mental health was like in the 60s like i don't really know if they're aware of mental disorder disorders or like schizophrenia or psychosis or split oh. personality well let's face it we're only really starting to talk about it openly in 2021 so mm. um it would have been very taboo back back then yeah, so I, I it, it, it is something that kind of like want if you take out the context, it's a bit, you know, it does feel like it's just a bit heavy on the exposition, but it probably was needed. Um, but then we get to my probably my favorite scene of the film. So we kind of we get to the end, and he's talking. We we have a voiceover of the mother, whilst Norman is just kind of waiting around, waiting to be interviewed, and he sees this fly in his hand, and she's saying like um. She's basically blaming Norman for um, for the murders, and she she refuses to take any blame of it. And what this, I think, there's a lot in that kind of final speech because it kind of reveals a lot about mother's personality. That you know, I, I think a worse writer or a, a, a director who's not as good probably would have had a flashback, for example. I feel like a lot is revealed about the mother. I feel like a lot is revealed about Norman's psyche. And then there's that final great shot before um, before the car when Norman is just smiling towards the camera with this deranged look on his face. And just for a second, you kind of see a superimposed skull on his face, which kind of signifies that in some way his mother is inside of him. Like somehow, whether it's schizophrenia, whether it's like, you know, split personality, there's something not quite right with with, with him. You think? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I, I mean, that's just a theory. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, what 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 do you think that kind of revealed like for yourself? Do you think it? Do you think I was needed or? <clears throat> um, I wouldn't say needed, but. Uh, it does. I, I don't think it adds or takes away anything from it. I mean, it'd be nice to to have the mystery, and maybe these days you could get away with it. But I think back then you probably didn't need that scene. And I, I do find it quite interesting the, the psychiatrist sort of review of his uh, condition. Mm. Um, as he says, he sort of um, 
you know, there's nothing of Norman left. He's completely his mother now is basically what he, he's saying in his exposition. Yeah. And I, 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 something I, I think a lot of directors probably could do a little bit more with, I think kind of a lasting image of your villain, I think is a very, is a very good way to kind of end the film, which I, I kind of wish they didn't have the final shot be the car being taken out of the swamp, because I feel like it kind of takes away from that fantastic final image of the skull yeah. being superimposed. I think, I think that's kind of unnecessary the car being pulled out of the swamp really we know he's we know he's been mm-hmm. caught and banged to rights and i say i think um yeah you'd have been better closed in on uh, that sort of look on his look on his face and it's a very it's a very good performance by uh, anthony perkins it's mm-hmm. it's very it's very subtle um he's, he's not playing you know a lot of you see a lot of actors, you know, they sort of overplay villains and make them very arched at times, but this is all, you know, quite subtly done by him. Yeah, that's something I kind of wanted to dig into a little bit, because I think um, a lot of this film is kind of, you know, I think a lot of it, what makes this film great is this lack of sub- subtlety in some ways, you know, there's the complete you know, non-caring about the production code, all the crazy rules that are broken. But I think something about Anthony Perkins' performance is just very... I, I think it ties it all together. He's, his eyes are just... I feel like his, his eyes are very, you know, very kind of creepy. And in fact, I, I'd, I'd never see him really blink that much. There's something about him which is just... Mm. His body language, his kind exactly, of very yeah, subtle mannerisms kind of... I, Honestly, I, I think this is one of my favourite performances of this kind of era. For a period that's like, you know, there's so much overacting, there's so much kind of machismo. I think it's nice to kind of see a character who's kind of not that. Yeah. Um, I, I, sorry, go on, go on, sorry. No, no, that's it. That's basically what I was going to say. I was just agreeing with you. I know, I know it doesn't happen very often. It's a, it's a shot to the system. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not used to this, to be honest. Um, but so, I guess kind of, uh, so I, I just want to touch on Anthony Perkins a little bit. So he starred in, I think, the two other sequels. I think there's two. There might have been three other sequels. Um, I believe he was, I, f- I believe he was bisexual in real life. From oh, what I, I remember. Well, t- um, I'll take your word for that. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I, I I I could be wrong. I mean, it doesn't mean massive. Well, the only reason I kind of bring it up because I, you know, there's this whole debate about you know, should a gay actor play a gay role? Um, I, I mean, I, I doubt he was out at the time. Um, but w- w- what is your kind of view on this? Because I feel like it kind of brings a little bit of a subtlety to this kind of what what for the time was a bit of a, you know, taboo role. Yeah. Um... I don't know really what to say. So I don't get myself in, into trouble, but I, it was a bit of it was a different time, and you most definitely wouldn't have been out out. It might have been a badly kept secret in those days, but you wouldn't have been mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't have been out out back in the sixties. Yeah, because uh, apparently he was also similar to the character. He's also apparently very shy um, among women. Um, even if I, I, I think he did actually have a wife at some point later on. 
Um, but it is, I think there is something kind of too kind of casting the role a little bit close to reality to a certain extent. Yeah, sometimes, but it, it sort of came out with the performances as well. Sometimes the best performances come from actors that can channel, channel, channel uh, their sort of inner selves. Mm, yeah, so um, I, I guess we can kind of talk about the pop culture impact, because I, I feel like this kind of villain nowadays isn't really as common, you know, it's, it's not as, as iconic as some of the other villains, which we probably will cover. But um, I, I kind of wanted to. How much do you think the character of Norman Bates has been in, like an impact and impact on pop culture? I think it's been quite a big impact on pop culture. I mean, it spawns stuff like the, the the Bates Motel series, as you say, the mm. various sequels. He's still spoken of today. Maybe not as much as as you say some of the others, because he hasn't got a sort of the sort of sort of. What sort of like fanfare around him, which is mm. sort of basically just a normal, a normal man, really. Yeah, and I, I feel like, I feel like this is something that kind of comes up a bit later. But, but I feel like a lot of you know villains now they are kind of, they are in some ways very very close to being human. You know, you you don't really see a villain which is just kind of completely alien a lot of the time like like i feel like this is one of the first where he just seems like a normal dude i mean the best villains are sort of ones that you can relate to that actually Mm. in their minds believe what they're doing is the right thing yeah well i mean because i mean we kind of touched on this at the beginning but like i i think we kind of touched on it as a joke but you know some some people are kind of you know scared of women and, you know, or, or a little bit awkward. And I think there is something kind of, there's something slightly sympathetic about him as, as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, that always makes for a good villain as well when there's something uh, sort of sympathetic and something you can relate to them about. Yeah. Um, and I mean, in terms of context, I mean, in terms of context for the time, I feel like this is kind of the perfect villain to kind of, you know, prey on these kind of, fears that people had at the time you know people were still it was a very homophobic era like i mean trans people are, are barely even accepted today so i, I feel like you know he, he he's kind of if, if, i mean there's something kind of horrible that this person's kind of being portrayed as, as a villain but i think there is also something that for the time is very effective well you know at the end of the day, he's a murderer, so it's not exactly horribly portrayed as a villain. You don't, uh, you know, not, no. not all, not all trans people go around stabbing people in showers. Well, at least no, I yeah. don't. <laughs> we, we probably say that no, we don't think all all of them do. Just, just, just to make that completely clear. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I think it's a very interesting take on a villain. I think it's something I kind of. You do see the influence of it later on, but I guess with that, um, actually, I, I meant to ask, but I didn't really ask at the beginning. I mean, did this ever really stick with you as a villain? Like when when you think of villains, do you ever do you ever think of Anthony of um, Norman Bates? Yeah, you you sort of do, especially you know, as I say, the iconic shower scene and and whatnot. There's only one record saying it's sort of. 
said said in the movie, and I kind of agree that he's not he's not really trans. He he, he doesn't mm. dress up as a woman for any sort of gratification. He does it because he's bringing his mother to life. He's N- he's almost becoming his mother, so to speak. Yeah, it's kind of treading that weird line between um, kind of possession and um, yeah. I, I, I mean, the only reason I kind of bring up the trans thing is because I I feel like these kind of taboos at the time are being exploited and kind of, you know, now they have a form with which someone can kind of, you know, fear, so to speak, which is which is a bit of a shame, but at the same time, I feel like it's, uh, it's, it's very mm, interesting. I mean, you say that, but men have been performing as women on stage for, for centuries. So mm, there's true. nothing unusual about it from a theoretical um, sort of look. That is a good point. In fairness, I I didn't really think of that before, but um, yes, I, I but I guess with that we should kind of get onto our rating, I guess. So um, all right, first of all, let, let's go with num- number one, and I, I'm not too sure about this one, so I'm going to come to you first. Well, well, when you when you think of Norman Bates, how would you rate him in terms of fear factor? Um, fear factor, it's it's going to be quite low, really. Yeah, there is. I think. There is something very unnerving and unsettling about him, but he doesn't strike fear in the same in the heart the same way as like a a, a Darth Vader or a Dalit would do. Mm. But he'd still certainly be unsettled around somebody like that, I think. So um, I'm going to go two though. I'd say something like a five or a six personally. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say five um, for you. I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm going to go six, just because, like you say, I mean, he's kind of not as as scary as some other people. But I wonder, if we kind of talk to someone from that time, I wonder if they would find him more intimidating or more creepy because of because mm. of the time, perhaps. I, I mean, that's just, a, that's just a theory. I mean, I, I, I guess we'll, we'll never really know. Um, but we'll, we'll go on to the second one. So I think this one is somewhat... I'll settle on that. I'll settle on six for the record as well. Okay, but, all right, fair enough. I'll make a note of that. Um, so I think this one is actually where he might sc- um, score quite highly, and I'm going complexity of character. And I think I'm going to actually say... I'm going to say a ten. Okay, yeah, I'm going to... Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to disagree. Agree with you. I'm fighting between a nine and a ten. I think he is the... Uh... A very complex character. I mean, just to go into it a bit more, he's, he's had a very suppressive and abusive relationship with his mother. Mm. He's got to a point where he's snapped. He's he's killed her, probably in a fit of rage, I would imagine. And then he's come to regret that. He's obviously missed his... Part of him has missed his mum. Mm. So to compensate that, he's sort of built her character in his mind and, and eventually... Uh, develop like a split personality, and there's a psychiatrist at, at the end. The sort of the mother became the more dominant personality in the end. Yeah, so, yeah I think I think a ten's fair actually in that one. Yeah, exactly. I think this now now I think it's quite common, but I think at the time I think this is probably one of the first that we ever saw of this kind of you know yeah. this is probably quite new at the time. So I think similar to that, I think impact on pop culture. You maybe don't see the figure as much as someone like Darth Vader, and I think it might be something that we might kind of come on to. Yeah, he's he's 
I think he's stood the test of time quite well, but he's he's not somebody you see on you know um, trump cards and putty boxes and and all that sort of thing. But I still yeah. think he's a reasonably high score. So I'm floating around a nine or an eight because you know he's stood for like fifty years. Mm, okay, I think I, I think I'm personally going to go for an eight. Um, so are you, are you, are you think you're nine or eight or? Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm going to go for a nine, actually. Okay, nine. All right. Um, so I guess kind of going off that, I think aesthetic is probably one of, his, one of his weakest kind of areas in some way. But at the same time, his alter ego is kind of, you know, the aesthetic is kind of everything. So I, I, I'm a bit conflicted on this one, to be honest. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. I think it's... Um... A decent score because there's something to be said about also being sort of looking unassuming mm. and um, being almost invisible to to respect. You know, there's something to being the last person someone would, would expect of doing something. Yeah, it can be well. You know, it can work to your advantage. Mm. Yeah, but it's kind of this idea of like. The darkness that's kind of that could be inside of almost anyone. Um, okay, so what, 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 what score are you thinking of going for then? I'm thinking a seven. Yeah, I think I'm also going to go for seven as well. I, I think that's a very good point. Um, so yeah, and I, I think he's going to. I think we're going to see the. I think aesthetic is very important in some ways more than others, but um, I guess the last one that we kind of have to go over is power. Which I think I'm 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 sadly going to have to go for I think a three. Yeah, well I think you're going to have to look at power from a different angle because he certainly has power over his victims, especially you mm. know when he's coming at you with a knife. But he's not sort of powerful in a way a Thanos or um, someone would be either. Yeah, so, he's, yeah. He's, he's not particularly smart either. Uh, I think you know he's not like a Hannibal Lecter kind of person with intelligence, is he? Well, he's not super. He's not stupid. No, he of course not. Try to cover up the um, the murder, but at the same time, if he had a bit more nounce about him, he would have known this was a woman uh, who was on the run. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> the people looking for her, they're bound to come your way eventually. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So, what 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 are you feeling, Ben? I'm gonna say I'm gonna go quite so. That's a five. Okay, yeah. I have to I, go too low, sort of um, disparages from the fact that you know the power he has over his, his victims. Yeah, that's true. You know what? Actually, because of that, I'm going to bump. I'm going to bump mine up by one. So, um, yeah, okay. So, uh, our final score um, for Norman Bates is seventy-two. Which I believe puts him third, just just seven seven points behind the Daleks. Yeah, he's not a million miles away behind the Daleks, though. I don't think he would stand much of a chance against them. But without sort of putting him in a Super Bowl <laughs> together, we're sort of. I think with certain characters, you got to come at you got to come at the um, things from a slightly different angle to make it fair. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, I mean, they are coming from. Well, I mean. There's some similar-ish times. Our Dalek came about ten years later, but um, 
I think they are also very, very different. Not even that. Uh, probably not even that. You know, I, I think probably about three or four years later. Oh, yeah. I guess so, yeah. I guess well, it is. Two is like 63, I think, wasn't it? So. Wow. <laughs> it's, they're very, you know, they're a lot close. I mean, no, I'd assume the same thing, but they're a lot closer than you'd think. Yeah, that's true. My, that, that's that's very weird to think of. But um, I mean, Darth Vader's seventy-seven, so he's quite a bit late. He's quite a bit later, but still not mm. late. Late. Yeah, we, 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 we've um, we, we, I think we've we've found some villains from very different time periods and very different. Well, maybe not even time periods, but very different kind of, very different kinds of villains, different times, and I think each mm. more important in their different ways. Definitely, definitely. They've all influenced pop culture in, in their own unique ways. Um, but yeah, um, it's something I, I thought I should mention. If there's any film nerds out there who kind of absolutely hate our analysis of this, um, I am sorry, but I also don't really care. Um, we are amateurs. Don't, don't murder us, please. Now, these things are always subjective. Everyone's going to have their own theories and opinions. It's just the... Mm. You can argue and discuss it, but don't go, uh, you know, don't go sort of um, disparaging people and trolling people over something you don't agree with. Yeah, absolutely. And but um, if you do have any disparaging mar- remarks or anything like that, um, Carl, can you please um, provide your social media details? <laughs> <laughs> For no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you yeah, know, um, what, what, what are your plugs, mate? Um, you can find me at uh, Carlos underscore fire 80 at um, Twitter and Instagram and you can find us at rogue underscore opinions on Twitter and Instagram and you can find us on Anchor, Spotify and all half decent podcasting platforms mm. so yeah if you're not on any of those platforms that means your platform sucks <laughs> um, but that's what I'm taking from that pretty much um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't have any plugs. I, I, I just want to say, um, yeah, just be nice to people and um, I hope that everyone's doing all right. Um, yeah. oh, look at me being nice for once. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not enjoying this, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, f- thank you everyone for listening and um, I hope you look forward to next week. Yeah. Oh, when the next one's released, so I don't think it's going to be weekly, but yeah. Oh, well. It applies. applies. Whenever it is. Just, 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 just keep an eye on the RSS feed and let us know how much you love us when, whenever you hear the next episode. All right. That's goodbye from Liam. And goodbye from me, Carl. <laughs>